<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. A pork recovery, surprising economic data, and forget 5G, China's on to 6G already. Here's your news. China's pork production is showing signs of recovery as the inventory of breeding sows registered the first month-on-month increase in October since the outbreak of deadly African swine fever last year. The country's stock of breeding sows rose 0.6% in October from the previous month, the first growth since April 2018. Since the first case of African swine fever was reported in China in August 2018, the devastating disease has wiped out a significant portion of the country's hogs and caused severe pork supply shortages and soaring prices. Industry analysts expect the country's pork production will drop as much as 40% this year. China's economy in 2018 was 2.1% bigger than originally estimated, the National Bureau of Statistics announced Friday, saying it had revised last year's GDP up by 2 trillion yuan, or $270 billion, in the wake of the results of the latest National Economic Census. The increase is the smallest of all four upward adjustments made after the censuses of 2004, 2008, 2013 and 2018, but could still help ease pressure on the government to implement a stimulus to achieve its target of doubling real GDP and per capita income by 2020 from 2010 levels. Friday's announcement put China's nominal GDP in 2018 at 92 trillion yuan. The revision has three key effects, economists at Nomura Holdings Inc. wrote in a note Friday. First, it helps Beijing to deliver on its target of doubling real GDP by 2020 from the 2010 levels. Second, it provides some leeway in Beijing's determination of its 2020 growth target. Third, it may help to clarify what Beijing needs to do to deliver on its 2020 growth target. Chinese podcasting and audiobook startup Shimalaya FM is seeking an IPO in the U.S. next year, initially planning to raise $500 million to $1 billion U.S., according to people close to the senior management of the Shanghai-based company. 
If Shimalaya can't complete an overseas IPO by June of 2020, its private equity investors have the right to request that the company buy back all shares from investors at the investment cost plus an annual return of 8%, according to an agreement between the company and its investors reviewed by Taishin. Shimalaya has launched a round of pre-IPO financing to raise about 350 million U.S., subject to market conditions, the sources told Taishin. The company said it had 600 million users who spent an average of 170 minutes daily listening to its shows. Its content ranges from audiobooks, training seminars, and foreign language learning to music and radio. It generates revenue via paid content, live streaming, and advertisements. Silicon Valley-based seed accelerator Y Combinator shuttered its China branch, YC China, citing a shift in strategy following leadership changes at its U.S. headquarters, the company said. The statement said that, quote, Our strategy changed back to our tried-and-true approach of supporting local and international startups from our headquarters in Silicon Valley, and as a result, we decided that now is not the right time to run a new country-specific version of Y Combinator, unquote. The venture capital firm backed tech companies that are household names, including Airbnb and Dropbox. YC China, which was launched in late 2018, has been replaced with Beijing-based Miracle Plus. The now standalone operation is run by Chinese-American Lu Qi, who also headed Y Combinator's Chinese operation. Lu was previously the chief operating officer of search giant Baidu and executive vice president of Microsoft. Two weeks ago, Elizabeth Bick, a microbiologist and former researcher at Stanford University, raised questions about data presented in a number of academic papers. All of them were either authored by or came from labs run by Cao Xuetao, an immunologist and the president of Tianjin's prestigious Nankai University. Over the last week, the number of papers flagged by Bick and others has hit 60. Bick suspects that some of the images in the reports were doctored, which would indicate that the data had been falsified. She told Caixin that five years ago, she raised concerns about three other papers published by Cao's lab and subsequently decided to take a closer look at all of the papers from the lab. Cao has long been engaged in immunology research and has held a number of prestigious posts. He is the former editor-in-chief of the Chinese Journal of Tumor Biotherapy, a former editor-in-chief of the English-language journals Cellular and Molecular Immunology, and the Journal of Molecular Medicine, among others. He is a well-regarded figure in China's scientific community. Last week, the Chinese Academy of Engineering said that it would investigate the concerns raised by Bick and others. Chinese officials revealed further tantalizing details of its research into sixth-generation wireless technology just weeks after the country's three main network operators launched commercial 5G services. Two major state-owned carriers, China Unicom and China Telecom, told Xinhua that they had started research into the extremely high electromagnetic frequencies critical for 6G development. Future 6G networks will feature peak download speeds of one terabyte the equivalent of 250 movies per second, Xinhua reported, adding that the technology will also enable the use of three-dimensional holographic maps, as well as virtual and augmented reality. For now, China is focusing on building out commercial 5G networks. The country has built 113,000 5G base stations so far, and intends to raise that number to 130,000 by the end of the year. 
Chinese smartphone makers, including Huawei, Vivo, and Xiaomi, are also scrambling to release 5G-ready handsets in a bid to grab a share of the nascent market. A Hong Kong court convicted 12 technicians of falsifying test results for the 35-mile, $19 billion U.S. megabridge linking Hong Kong, Zhuhai, and Macau, the world's longest sea crossing. A Kowloon court found that 12 laboratory employees of Jacobs China conspired to defraud in testing the strength of concrete bricks used in the gigantic project between 2013 and 2016. The 12 were among 21 Jacobs China workers who were arrested in May 2017 by Hong Kong's Independent Commission of Corruption on suspicion of faking the concrete test reports. The Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge is a signature project in an ambitious Beijing initiative to integrate the Pearl River Delta region. The bridge puts the three cities of Zhuhai, Macau, and Hong Kong within an hour's commute of each other. It takes four hours to travel by ferry between Hong Kong and the eastern side of the Delta and Zhuhai on the western bank. The bridge opened for service in October last year after multiple delays and a large budget overrun that pushed up total costs to more than $19 billion U.S. The massive system consists of three cable-stayed bridges, one undersea tunnel, and four artificial islands. Three local governments co-funded the project. Only buses, taxis, and private vehicles with special permits are allowed to use the crossing. Let's turn now to Tanner Brown, who co-produces this podcast from the Caixin Global side. Tanner, you've got a couple of banking stories for us, yeah? What you got this week? Yes, Kaiser. Um, as always, I bring good news. I'm not going to talk about anything bad this time. I'm not going to talk about sandstorms, suicide, murder, environmental degradation, and inundation of China's coastal cities, as, as I've done before. I'm going to stop all that, and I'm going to talk about rabid corruption in China's uh, banking industry. Okay, not my idea of cheerful news, but uh, give us the details. Well, um, they're brief stories. Uh, it's basically just two uh, updates on two banks that had experienced uh, bouts of corruption within their ranks, within their upper ranks. Uh, one bank big, one bank small, and this is um, and this week we have you know minor updates on those stories. So I'll start with the big bank, which is. Not only China's largest bank, it's not only the world's largest bank, it's uh, by valuation the world's largest company, which is the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, an enormous entity. And in June, the chairman was uh, suspected of corruption and was ousted from his position at the bank. The investigation was ongoing, and we hadn't heard really a lot. And uh, just this week, we find out that he was he's being expelled from the Communist Party and from any of his other public posts, which is usually the step before uh, serious indictments take place and you know court proceedings begin. Um, and we have a little more details about what he's charged with. Great. So tell us, who is this guy, and what exactly was he accused of doing? So his name's uh, Gu Guoming, and he was the, the the party chief and the president of ICBC's Shanghai branch, one of their biggest branches. And he's accused of corruption. What authorities said was an extremely huge amount of bribes. Uh, they didn't give a number, but they will often use different kinds of adjectives to refer to the amount that had been involved. This was uh, chaoji, or you know, an extremely large amount. 
and uh, authorities said most of this, the bribery was uh, in connection with that that would benefit himself, his relatives, and his friends. And this uh, comes from China's big party inv- uh, disciplinary investigator called the Central Commission for Discipline Inspection. And Gu is really only one of the latest in a string of, of financial exec- executives. So um, in, the, in the broader financial world in China to be taken down from pretty high positions in, I mean, we all know about Xi's corruption campaign that's now several years old, but in the financial industry, uh, we seem in the last year or two to have, they have seemed to have <clears throat> sort of really honed in on the financial sector. Um, this comes at a time when China, China's financial sector is undergoing a lot of changes. They've begun to open up a bit to uh, foreign investment a bit more. Not long ago, the uh, mainland stock markets were linked with the Hong Kong and the London stock markets. Uh, debt within a lot of financial industries is, is still a big concern, especially at the local level, uh, and, and on and on. So I think what you're seeing is authorities really trying to get rid of the dirt in the financial sector. So we're seeing a lot of uh, fat cats taking the fall. Just maybe two other things to note about Gu uh, or, or this investigation. Uh, one is that authorities said he had illicit arrangements or investment deals with um, a friend or affiliate of Liu Shuyu, and Liu Shuyu is a, is a, was a former chairman of the China's, China Securities Regulator. So that's a big wig. Now Liu Shuyu is not involved, but a close affi- affiliate confidant of, of him, uh, He Minhua which is a, a well-connected businesswoman. And ac- again, according to authorities, there were billions of, of, of yuan in loans from ICBC that either violated the law or were just not done by normal protocol. Uh, and then the second thing was, um, the more interesting thing is, there are suspicions that the probe, the, the investigation, will be a lot wider at ICBC than just Gu. Uh, one colleague, uh, Liu Hong, uh, who's the deputy head of, of Gu's Shanghai branch, is already under investigation for, for, for graft. And apparently, while Gu was being investigated for corruption over the last few months, he had been in contact with something like 10 employees at the bank who may uh, become targets themselves of investigation. So it's something to watch, and uh, it's a pretty reasonably big figure to fall from from the world's largest financial entity. Okay, so that's the bigger bank. Um, tell us about the smaller bank, Tanner. Yeah, this one is the Bank of Jilin, and obviously Jilin in uh, northeast China. Um, and so last month, the chairman of the bank stepped down um, after being accused of violating uh, party discipline, which is just the way China phrases uh, corruption. And this week, the president of the bank uh, stepped in to fill those shoes. So that was the news this week, is that they appointed the president as the chairman to fill this this fallen chairman's role. So the, the, uh, the ousted chairman is Zhang Baoxiang, and um, the incoming chairman is Chen Yulong. And, and the fallen figure, Zhang, like ICBC's Gu that, that fell, um, they both have similar sort of long careers in and out of banking, working their way up through the system, 
having occasionally one foot in private business, uh, other kind of financial and investment entities, but mostly staying in banking and working their way up to, to really the top of their field in their respective cities. So that's one thing. And if I'm not mistaken, the Bank of Jilin has had broader problems recently. Is that correct? Exactly. That's that's correct. Um, they've had both uh, corruption or legal problems uh, um, and, uh, recently, and they're 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 having finan- financial problems, um, potentially related. Uh, but um, the Bank of Jilin was penalized by regulators several times last year. Um, they were accused of faking transfers of credit assets, um, accused of inflating deposit and loan figures, uh, illegally issuing loans to cover for, for uh, non-performing loans, and just of having inadequate internal controls. So it looked like it was an environment where if you wanted to do something untoward, it uh, might not be the hardest place to do that. And as I mentioned their finances are, are, are not not so hot. Uh, they've struggled to make ends meet this year, and they have they are close to the the minimum capital adequacy ratios uh, set by regulators. So there's amount of money they have to have in store to be able to uh, operate and to give out loans, and they've they've just about fallen below that level. And their profits are shrinking, according to an inter- interim report. Uh, their net profit shrank. Uh, about 50%, that's 5-0% over the last year, and their non-performing loans rose. So besides all the problems in the bank uh, with corruption, they have these financial problems, and they're reportedly looking for, for more capital, and they um, they did win approval for a private placement from one of China's securities watchdogs. So they may get um, some funding and hopefully may get their house in order on the disciplinary front, assuming those charges are are accurate. Well, Tanner, thank you for misleading us with that promise to talk about something feel-good. This is what the Chinese call uh, hanging a sheep's head but selling dog meat or just bait and switch. I am not falling for that one again, man. I sincerely am going to bring some... Maybe some news about firefighters rescuing a cat or something next time I talk to you. Well, you better. Anyway, talk to you again soon, Tanner. Thanks, Geyser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Ufei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at SupChina.com. Take care.